today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. When you're praying, it is very appropriate to recall what God did for you in the past. When you thought, man, it's game over. I ain't getting out of this. I'm not getting through this. This is really bad. This is how it ends. Well, wait a minute, not so fast. There was another time in your life, remember? Remember when you thought the same thing then? You're listening to In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. Whenever we're in a trial and perhaps slightly panicked, one of the last things we do is remember the times God delivered us. We often jump right to praying for God to get us out of the mess we're in. However, as Pastor J.D. will teach you in his message today, one of the first things we should do is reflect on God's faithfulness. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 63 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. This prayer that just seems to kind of burst into the, the chapter and interrupt this narrative of the vengeance of God. And then all of a sudden now we're reading about the loving kindness of God. What's up with that? Well, here's a couple of thoughts. First, again, it's that paradox. But second, it is when we face times like this, where we see the hand of God, the heavy hand of the Lord, if you prefer, that we would do well to remember the goodness of the Lord, because it's in those times that we tend to forget. And maybe I can say it like this, and I was thinking about this today, there is absolutely nothing wrong with not only remembering the goodness of God, but praying, Lord, remember when? What do you mean? Did God forget? No. (laughs) It's remembering the goodness of the Lord when He did that in the past, because here I am in the present, and I'm facing this uncertainty in the future, and I know that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. What was He like yesterday? Good. Loving kindness. What's He like today? Good. Loving kindness. What's He going to be like yet future? Good. Loving kindness. Do you see how I did that? I sure. Can you just humor me and say that you got that? Because I don't know that I can do that again. (laughs) And this is exactly what He's going to do now, as we're going to see next. So, verse 9, in all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. Remember? Oh yeah, I do remember. What a beautiful description 
of who and how the Lord is. When we're afflicted, He's afflicted? Yeah. When we hurt, He hurts? Yeah. When we're suffering, He feels that suffering? Yes. How is that even possible? Oh no. He loves us in His love so much. His pity. I, I, maybe other translations render it differently. I think that word for us in our day maybe kind of has a negative connotation, maybe better understood as He feels for us. He's sorry for us. And what's He going to do now when in our affliction He's afflicted in His love and in feeling for us? What's He going to do? Oh, He's going to redeem us. He's going to bear us up and carry us through. And key at the end of verse 9 is, as the days of old. In other words, I'm going to do for you what I've done for you in the past. I will do for you today, and I will always do for you yet future. Now, verse 10. Uh, I wish this verse wasn't here, but it is. But, you know this is going downhill, right? (laughs) They rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. Uh, there's, uh, uh, yeah, I need, to, I need to mention this parenthetically. There's grieving the Holy Spirit, and there's quenching the Holy Spirit. And we can do both. There's also blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which if you're asking whether or not you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Because if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't ask if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I'm really on a roll, aren't I? (laughs) Again, tell me you got that, because I don't know if I can repeat that. I think you get the point. So let's talk about this for a moment. I think we need to talk about this. Let's, Let's talk about grieving the Holy Spirit first. I do want to talk a little bit about quenching the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Okay, this is going to get a little bit intense, but do you realize that the Holy Spirit indwelling you watches everything you watch, sees everything you see, hears everything you hear, uh, is involved in that conversation that you're having, And we can so grieve the Holy Spirit. Picture it like this. I hope this is a a good way to explain it. But picture the Holy Spirit just like, ah, no. That's grieving the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us, right? We have the Holy Spirit. We have God the Holy Spirit living in us. And we take Him everywhere we go, into every activity that we participate in. And oh, how often do we grieve the Holy Spirit? What about quenching the Holy Spirit? Well, 
for lack of a better illustration, just like putting out a fire. There's two ways to put out a fire. Neglect it, it'll go out. Pour water on it, you'll put it out. And so too are we also prone to do that with the Holy Spirit. We neglect, and the Holy Spirit can be quenched. We do things in our lives, allow things to take up residence in our lives that can actually quench the Holy Spirit. Extinguish that flame, that fire of the Holy Spirit, that power of the Holy Spirit. We sever the Holy Spirit in quenching the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, and we do so to our own peril, we no longer have now that power source because it's been quenched, it's been put out. Not just grieved, quenched. So, continuing on in verse 10, He turned himself against them as an enemy, and he fought against them. Then, verse 11, he remembered, and here it is, the days of old. Moses and his people saying, Where is he who brought them up out of the sea? Speaking of the Red Sea with the shepherd of his flock. Where is he who put his Holy Spirit within them? Who led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, dividing the water before them to make for himself an everlasting name. Who, verse 13, led them through the deep as a horse in the wilderness that they might not stumble. Verse 14, as a beast goes down into the valley and the Spirit of the Lord causes him to rest. And I want you to listen very carefully to this last part of verse 14. So you lead your people to make yourself a glorious name. Did you catch that? I'm not doing this for your sake. I'm doing this for my name's sake. I'm not doing this for you. I'm actually doing this in spite of you. <laughs> I'm doing this for, because you see, and this is something that Moses would always pray, Lord, in fact, there's that one account. It is astounding when God basically, knowingly, He knows the end from the beginning, He knew that M Moses would decline this very generous offer, but He actually was willing to and told Moses that He wanted to start all over, and Moses would be the one. Now if, I, if I'm Moses, which is why God would never offer this to me, I'm like, great idea, I'm liking this. Because the people were complaining and murmuring, and God had just had it. That's it. I'm going to give the promise to you, and done with them. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Where do I sign? <laughs> Not Moses. He's like, no, you can't do that, God. As attractive as that sounds, and as, as much as my flesh would love that, and our flesh loves that, right? You know what's going to happen if you were to do that? Word's going to get out. Oh, this is how their God treats them? Yeah, I'm not interested. 
And conversely, God, Moses would say, I'm, this is a very, very loose paraphrase. Moses would say to the Lord, conversely, if you, in spite of them, instead of destroying them, you show mercy to them, word's going to get out about that too. And it's going to be the opposite that's true. They're going to say something to the effect of, wow, did you hear what their God didn't do to them? Because <laughs> you have to understand, all of the false gods that were worshipped at that time were gods that you, well, I don't want to get graphic, it's horrific, it's unthinkable, it's unspeakable. But not this God. This is a merciful God. This is a loving God. This is a kind God. This is a gracious God. After they rebelled, grieved His Holy Spirit, maybe even quenched the Holy Spirit, and they were a rebellious people, God didn't destroy them, but instead God showed them mercy, caused them to rest, led them through the Red Sea, out of slavery in Egypt, into the wilderness, and then into the promised land. Why did he do that? Because that's who he is. It's for his glory, his glorious name. One more thing I want to point out, and I, we touched on it, but it's very important. And I, I speak from personal experience in my own prayer life because there's a powerful principle here when it comes to prayer. When you're praying, it is very appropriate to recall what God did for you in the past when you thought, man, it's game over. I ain't getting out of this. I'm not getting through this. This is really bad. This is how it ends. Well, wait a minute, not so fast. There was another time in your life, remember? Remember when you thought the same thing then? And God got you through miraculously, and He did it in such a way that it was unmistakably Him for His glory, because there was no other way. It would be inexplicable to even try to explain it in the natural, because what God did was in the supernatural. Remember? Oh yeah. I think about David. In fact, it's my favorite. Of course, they're all my favorite, but... <laughs> It's when he's still a teenager, and he is told by his dad to go to the battlefield to take, really actually to, it was to take food, but he really wanted to hear back about how his, bro his sons were doing, David's brothers. He had his three oldest brothers there in the battlefield, and this is before email and social media, so there was no posts on anything, and he didn't know what was going on. And so he sends David to get word to them and take nourishment and sustenance to them, and then bring word back. So here David shows up. He's just a little teenage boy, shepherd boy, and uh, he shows up there on the battlefield. And who should be there to greet him? 
but his oldest brother, the firstborn son, Eliab. And what does his oldest brother say to him? What are you doing here? Go home, you little runt. This is for men. What are you, go back and, and oh, he's so condescending towards his little brother. And this is no normal sibling rivalry. This oldest son is bitter towards David, the youngest. You know why, right? Remember when Samuel goes to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel, the second king of Israel, to succeed Saul? And here, I mean, Eliab, the firstborn, as was the culture, he's the heir apparent. It's a shoe, and certainly it's going to be the firstborn Eliab, standing there tall, fully expecting Samuel to anoint him as the king of Israel. So Samuel taking presumably the Urim and the Thummim to seek the Lord as to who it was, which one of the sons of Jesse it was. Nothing happens with Eliab. Can you imagine what went through his mind as now the second oldest, according to their age, according to the custom, and they go, he goes, Samuel goes all the way down the line, seven of the sons, none of them are to be anointed king of Israel. And so Samuel's actually a little bit dumbfounded himself, and he says to Jesse, um, <laughs> do you have any more sons? <laughs> Jesse's like, yeah, I mean, I actually do, but not <laughs> no, no. Really? What, what's his name, David? No, but he's now. <laughs> no. Where is he? Oh, he's out tending to the sheep. It's really strong. Uh, really even in the uh, narrative in English, but in the Hebrew it's even stronger. Go get him now. What in the world? Why wasn't he here to begin with? Go get him now and nobody rests until he's here. So they go and they get him like, okay, all right. I mean, that might be a little bit dramatic, but so they go get David. They bring him up all smelly, dirty, probably wondering what, you know, (laughs) he comes up there and sure enough, that's him. And he's anointed. Can you just picture Eliab over there in the corner going, are you kidding me right now? He's a little runt. And then in fact, there had to have been some dialogue. It's not recorded in the text for us, but you can make that assumption, I think, correctly. There had to be some dialogue, because even Samuel, it's recorded, is kind (laughs) of baffled himself. He's like, "Um, are you sure about this, Lord? And the Lord tries to settle his heart and just say to him, God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God, but God, <laughs> looks at the heart. Man, I'll tell you, how true, I don't, how true is that? We make judgments about people based on their outward appearances, like I'm doing right now. By the way, you all look marvelous, I just outwardly, but here's the thing, God sees your heart. In fact, it could be argued that he does not even notice the outward appearance. 
many, many years ago, this is so, my goodness, uh, when I worked for Mercedes-Benz, and I had a Mercedes-Benz as a company car, and I couldn't, I mean, I was in my 20s, early 20s actually, I couldn't have even afforded to pay for the gas to put in that Mercedes, let alone that Mercedes, but I got to drive one. How cool was that? So I um, picked up my then uh, fiancé to go to Calvary Chapel, Spokane, and I pull up in my brand new Mercedes Benz. Anyway, sorry, I'm back. <laughs> Palomino leather. Whew. The smell, you know, just the smell, right? By the way, you know that new car smell? It's plastic. Get over it. Anyway, I digress. So uh, we pull up to church, and this guy comes running out and taps on the passenger door where Kelly is. And I'm like, you know, what? So I just, I crack the window down, right? And I'm like, I'm like, hi. And he looks at me and he goes, um, brother, I need to ask you to forgive me. I'm like, what'd you do? Um, he said, you know, I judged you uh, because of the car you're driving. And I just, I want, I want to ask you to forgive me for making that judgment that uh, someone like you shouldn't be driving a car this nice and this expensive. Well, that right there, I'm, uh, <laughs> oh really? You don't say, do you? <laughs> Get thee behind me, Satan. No, I didn't say that. But I thought to myself, wow, talk about looking at the outward appearance. You have no idea. And I proceeded to explain to him, of course, in a loving way, being the godly young man that I was. But anyway, I proceeded to tell him that, uh, first of all, this is not my car. It's a company car. Uh, I couldn't afford the license and registration on this car, let alone the gasoline to put in this car. And, uh, and then he felt really bad. So I kept rubbing it in, you know, because I really wanted to drive this home. You better repent. I forgive you. But anyway, so he, <laughs> I mean, it, totally the outward appearance. Do you already know where I'm going with this? Because I'm going to go there with this. You look at people. Don't you make assessments and judgments based on their outward appearance? You have no idea. You have no idea. Even just in a church setting, you you see your brother, your sister in Christ, and forget whatever car they pulled up in. Um, God doesn't notice what kind of car they drive. God doesn't notice what kind of name brand whatever they might have. God doesn't see that. It's not what they have, it's what has them. It's okay to have those things, but it's when those things have you. That's not okay. So you look at their outward appearance, and you have no idea what's going on in their lives. But God does. He sees the heart. He sees the heart of His people. You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to study the Word of God. 
As you continue to learn from Isaiah with Pastor J.D., make sure to really think about what you're hearing and what God wants to speak to you today through Scripture. We encourage you to keep reading on your own. If you're not already part of a local church that you call home, we encourage you to find one and attend regularly to grow in relationship with God and others. And if you're in or near the Kaneohe area, come visit us. You'll find all the information you need, including service times and directions to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can also access more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like you heard today, including his weekly prophecy updates. In addition to that, you may be interested in the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. This is a simple guide to sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus. As we continue to learn from the book of Isaiah together, we'd be honored to pray for you during this study. Would you let us know what those prayer requests might be? Just fill out the contact form under the About tab at calvarychapelkaneohe.com or come find us on social media. There's a link to our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook pages on our website. We encourage you to follow them so you can stay up to date with all that's happening at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe and In Spirit and Truth. That's all we have time for today, but thanks for listening to In Spirit and Truth. Keeping me right with your wind.